The Q's Back is first off, you're wrong. A podcast by two dudes smart enough to see problems, but too dumb to figure out how to fix them. I am Luke, with me is Jeremiah. Hi. Last week, we had Calvinism. Calvinism. What was the week before that? It was Calvinism. The week before that, Calvinism. The week before that, Calvinism. And this is the final week of Calvinism. Any announcements? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Who knows? Change the air filters in your house. Hey, I just did. Ah, Can you believe that? Every three months. Uh, I did not change every three months, but my kids have been getting sick like all the time. I'm like, I'm going to do everything in my power now to fix this. And so I went and bought the the best, you know, filter you can possibly buy for those things at Home Depot, of course, Um, which is probably not the best. But uh, and then I got little air filters for each individual air register. So maybe that will help, too. I don't know. I'm tired of kids being sick. So, yeah. You know, uh, life hack for you when you uh, when you're putting your new air filter in. Yeah. I'm not like saying this as an essential oils person, but if you take some like vanilla or whatever essential oil scent you like and put a few drops on your air register, then as it pulls the air in, it puts a nice fresh scent through all the rooms of your house equally. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a great. How could I not hack. know that? It's a great life hack. Do you do it? Every once in a while. I don't do it every time. But it makes your house smell like vanilla. It, don't like douse the whole bottle. Literally like just a couple drops and it gets whatever whatever scent you do. I think we've done lavender before. Hmm. Hmm. Hey, with a disclaimer. All right. As you guys know, this podcast is mainly opinion-based. Of course, as Christians, our utmost authority is scripture. However, a lot of the things we talk about might not be directly addressed. They might be gray areas of the Christian life or they might be debated topics. Our goal with this podcast is to make you come away thinking about things you may not have thought of in the past or think about new things in a new light. With that said, Luke, what are people wrong about again? People are wrong about Calvinism, but this week it's about why all this is important and are our Aryan... Aryan, Armenian, no, no. Armenian, dude. I went on Armenian, 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 Armenian. I went. The reason why I'm saying all that is because when I was doing research online, uh, there was someone who said, "Are are Armenians? Are they heretics?" And someone said, "I think you mean Armenians." Um, and and then someone said, "Because that and Aryan and whatever are all different." And so then they're all like, now. And like a soup in my Don't mind. Even get me started on Pelagian. And they're, and they're all, yeah, they're all going to start just like coming out of the woodwork. Um, but anyway, that's what we're going to talk about. Are they? Is this heretical? Are they? Are they bound for hell? Are they our brothers in are, Christ? Are they our? Are our <laughs> brothers or brothers in Christ? We in will see stars. We will find today. Where would you want to start on this? That's a great question. I think the big question. For the episode that, you know, it's kind of in the title of this final bit is why does it matter? Why do we get hung up? Why do we debate whether or not, you know, which version Arminianism, Calvinism is true? Um, to me, there's there's a couple of reasons why it matters first. And we've kind of hit on all of them a little bit, but we haven't gone in-depth into all of them. Uh, The first one that I think of is the difference between a uh, monergistic salvation and a synergistic salvation. You talked about monergism and synergism a little bit last week. And 
if it, do you do you have a, like a short definition of either of those? Okay, so the monergistic um, viewpoint, which would be more Calvinistic, which is Calvinistic, um, would be that it is all God. It has nothing to do with us. We we the only thing we are is just sinners, and we are being saved by an Almighty Sovereign God. Um, called by his spirit, and that's it. Um, the synergistic one would mean that we are working with God. So God or the Holy Spirit calls, we can um, either reject or we can mm-hmm. accept that offer um, of the calling, and it it takes action by us to be saved. We must have the faith to be saved as opposed to um, we are irresistibly pulled towards the Spirit, and therefore we follow, and we are Christians. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at synergism in the workplace is a good thing, because, you know, like me, I work in an office environment. It's like every year, every six months, we have some training on, you know, you need to be synergistic with your partners, in the in the workplace, you know, everyone in your team has to be working together for the same goal, and you all have to be playing to each other's strengths and building up each other's weaknesses. So that way, yeah, synergism is like a same, huge go word yeah. or a buzzword. Or yeah, go word. I that even means okay. how many? I don't know how many. Like like I said, I don't know how many business meetings I've heard the word synergism come up, and it's annoying. But working you, together, yes, you could say that too. Yeah, it 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 is two or more people going for the same goal. Whereas monergism is one person, one entity working for a goal. Uh, a marathon runner would be a monergist, right? He's he's running the marathon alone. A synergist marathon runner would have a relay. They would have a baton that they'd be passing forth and each person would accomplish different amounts of the whole thing. Right, like football synergistic, except for when the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl and Roger Goodell wants them to win and stages the whole thing. But yes, synergism, monogism, it's it's just choosing as opposed when your mindset of who is doing the work and who has the ability to do the saving, who has the ability yeah. for the faith, the salvation. Yeah. Um and uh, both of us would be more in the or would be in the monergistic camp it's just it's what the bible says it makes more sense it's exactly what as as going back to total depravity i mean that's all you have to look at where it's like why would i ever want to and what what i specifically see when you look at the synergist viewpoint that implies some good nature in man Mm -hmm. in order for it to happen because there's, Paul states that there's no works of righteousness of our own accord that saves us. Um, and so when you, when you follow the synergist viewpoint and you say, okay, there's some good in the nature of man that is capable of agreeing to salvation, even if it's 99% Christ and 1% man, that 1% or even 99.99% man, uh, percent God and 0.01% man, that still is some part of work that implies we are good in nature 
in order to agree to that. So we're, we're, what's, what's the problem with saying that? Well, it denies original sin that's taught throughout the Bible that man is born in sin. And when you deny original sin, I mentioned this before, but you're denying the... Um, when you deny original sin, you open up the door to say that anyone could become Christ. Anyone has there the could capacity. be another Jesus, yeah. Yeah, it was just it, it. It could have been a fluke that Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross. So yeah, with with synergism, it leads down a very sketchy road to say the least. Um, even if you're just saying there's such a tiny bit of man, but man just you know Christ grabs you and he pulls you out of the water, and you're. Out, you're almost completely out of the water. You just got to kick your your foot a little bit to get all the way out, so he can save you. Yeah. Then what's that saying? That's saying that you have some capacity for good, and that by extension, someone at some point could have lived a perfect, sinless life that wasn't Jesus. I've heard people. Um, I think it was uh, Mike Winger. Um, I, I listen to his stuff a lot when I'm doing work because it's just easy. There's 20 questions every Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember he was, he was talking about, um, you know, is it, is faith a works? Because if so, then it would be there's a we can do works to be saved because faith would be a work. And I just, all I can remember, because obviously I'm also doing my work at the same time, is I just in the middle of it, I was like, "What? What is he even talking about at this point?" Because it was going all over the place mm-hmm. to be able to describe how it was a work, but not a work at the same time. But it was f- his choice. Yeah, and I was just like, "Man, this is some mental gymnastics to just get to." I I don't even know what he got to really. I mean, he has he has a real problem with uh, Calvinism, which is fine. But um, there's there's a lot of people. I mean, Mike Winger is definitely one of the more relaxed. I wouldn't even say anti-Calvinist, just maybe more pro-Arminian. Oh man, when, when he gets on the anti-Calvinist um, videos, like he goes pretty hard into it and is like, "There's there's just no way you can you can ever like just ask really the, the most the most that i've seen from him he's been pretty level headed oh no, but no i guess i haven't when, watched when enough there's of there's like he has a whole cuz the dude the dude i mean i give him credit like he's done like women in ministry mm-hmm. like ones where it's like 9 hours yeah. of content because this guy goes and like studies it and figures out how he's going to present it to you and it's like wow how did you get that presented in such a small amount of time i mean you're like 9 hours that's yeah. like that's a lot of stuff he, but but when he did the the um uh is calvinism biblical like i think it was i think it was a two-hour video and i mean he he went pretty hard like he has a lot of Mm. a lot of points where it's it's a lot of it's gotcha questions like he he gives you what his perspective is yeah but a lot of the things where he's like i'd like you to ask like your uh your anyone that's a calvinist like this question a lot of it's the gotcha stuff yeah and like it's when people when you watch you go on YouTube and you watch a video about like um what's his name? I don't know why I just said what's his name. MacArthur. He yeah. he's he's on like a panel and someone goes up and, and asks some question and it's like, okay, when you go ask a lawyer a question, the lawyer doesn't go, Okay, let me give you the answer. 
he goes, I need to go back. I need to look at this up. I need to figure out the right answer for you. And I'll give it, I'll come back and, and I'll give you an actual like concise, consolidated answer that gives you the what's right. Mm-hmm. And um, and these people ask these questions that just, when they ask them, I'm like, if it was me up there, I'd just be like, Duh, I, I don't know what to tell you. And like John MacArthur, like, you know, God bless him, gives like his best explanation of whatever this ridiculous question is. And then of course, then like, and in later videos, like he he uh, he kind of he's he he has a better example of like what what is wrong with this perspective. And it's like yeah, because he was able to look at your question, go to the Bible, mm-hmm. and then be like, okay, this is what the question was. This is the answer to that question. I'm able to answer it now. Even John MacArthur doesn't know everything about like everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, and everyone expects him to. It's the same thing with like Vody Bacham. Or like not not about to say the other one, or Steve Lawson. Uh, (laughs) His TikTok stuff comes up with him on like all the time. I need to like start telling him I don't like watching it. But um, anyway, but like those guys, like they don't know everything. They know way more than you or I do, but they don't know everything, and so they get these gotcha questions, and it's like, (laughs) look, he's stupid. But it that's the the issue is that we can do the same thing. To Arminians, like it's like you, we can do the same thing. We can go up to you and we can do a bunch of gotcha questions, um, and you're, you'll sit there dumbfounded. And then again, like if like we, this this treatment of like, like oh, if I get you with one of these questions, then it means that Calvinism is defeated for all time. It's like no, okay. It's called we need to go. We need to go to the scripture. We need to find what the answer is to this. And if you if it's what you want it to be, the answer, then it is. I mean, that's just how it's like. It doesn't matter who's right; it matters why you're right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just went off on a tangent. I, think. <laughs> I get. I get. I, but you know, whatever. That those videos, I, I've seen a couple. I'm not necessarily by just Mike Winger. I've seen Soteriology 101 do a good bit of stuff. See, I've never watched <sighs> them until like when I said I had an article from them, and you're like, oh my gosh. Now I've heard them come up so much. I Leighton Flowers is a special man. Very special. If you ever want a good a good video is honestly Leighton Flowers and James White debating Romans nine. It's mm-hmm. a two and a half hour debate, I want to say. Maybe just a two hour debate. So it's a good chunk of time. But it's it's good. And then in the there's a time where they're doing cross examination and James White asks Leighton Flowers, is the level of exegesis that you do for the rest of the Bible consistent with how you exegete Romans 9. And Leighton goes, uh, no. And just says, no. And then tries to give some answer, and James White is like, that's not... You've just defeated your entire argument because you've said you're not being consistent when you interpret Romans 9 versus when you interpret the rest of the Bible because you can't have a constant interpretation of verses like Romans 9 or Genesis 50 through the Armenian viewpoint. And that leads to my next um, issue with the opposition, as you like to say. Opposition? The opposition party. Hashtag. Um, opposition. Or the the reason why I think Calvinism matters is because it's, a, it's the only consistent way to go through the Bible. It's the only consistent way that you can walk through from Genesis to Revelation and not trip over yourself. Mm-hmm. Um there's, you know, the study of hermeneutics, which is how you interpret hermeneutics. the Bible. Hermeneutical. Hermeneutics. Yes. 
if it was on a piece of paper, if it was on a piece of paper and I had to read it, I would not be Herman able to. Herman who? That's a book by Todd Friel from Retro Radio. Um, <laughs> but I like that guy's voice. Everything you see Retro Radio, I'm like, I don't know who that is. And then I go on YouTube and I watch Wretched. Like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's him. You know, my wife, <laughs> every time I turn on Wretched Radio, she's fine with it until he goes, um, and you're listening to Wretched Radio or whatever his, his catch, his tagline is before the break yeah and he says it in such a strange way and she goes i just don't like the way he says wretched radio <laughs> she's fine <laughs> with the rest of it <laughs> everything we're just but, throwing it all out um when you when you look at hermeneutics there's different hermeneutics for every everything that you read right any anytime you read a book you're sub quote unquote subconsciously applying hermeneutics to it if you're reading something written by Mark Twain, you're going to have a hermeneutical principle that you have versus if you're reading something as a, you know, a piece, uh, a history book, you're going to have a a different hermeneutic for it. You're going to interpret it differently because a history book is events that actually happened throughout history, whereas Mark Twain or some other book is going to have, a, a, you know, a fiction book, it's going to be things they might have historical elements, but they're they're not real. They're rooted in a false narrative to draw you, – you can draw lessons from them. So Dostoevsky, mm-hmm. you're going to draw lessons from what he's written that would be different than if you read something written by Stephen King, right? Stephen King I don't think has a lesson in any of his books. They're just, you know, a bunch of – you I, know, I probably shouldn't talk about Stephen King. I don't King. read Stephen King. I don't either, but he was just... I can't think of fiction authors right now. I don't read a whole lot of fiction. Um, but with that said, when you're reading through the Bible, you're going to apply... You need to apply hermeneutical principles to it, and you need to be consistent in the way you apply those principles, and you need to be consistent in the way that you read the text and you interpret things. So the the way that I've heard it best put when you read it is you want a grammatical and historical hermeneutic Mm -hmm. so you want to take things in the original language you you want to view things through the original language intent yeah meaning grammatical whatever the writer was writing yeah like you need to know what language it was and then when you're going to the historical it's what's going on at this time exactly exactly some people like the term literal I I like literal as well, but then that can get kind of that difficult. can literally get difficult. It can get difficult when well, not difficult might not be the best word because some would say, oh, well, you want it to be difficult so that way you can get the right answer. <laughs> but um, it take it that be, people that had that argument. It can be rough interpreting things like Daniel or Psalms because the Psalms are not necessarily meant to be taken literal; they're poetry. You're supposed to glean things from them. You're supposed to take lessons from the Psalms, from Proverbs, Mm -hmm. but they're not written. You can't read the Proverbs and say, I wonder who this specific woman in Proverbs 31 that uh, Solomon is talking about. Right. That's not the point. You're supposed to be interpreting it grammatically and historically based on what was intended. That the same problem can apply with Revelation. Not every single thing in Revelation is literal. Uh, so away from hermeneutics, back to Calvinism, if you take a grammatical and historical view 
of the Bible and you're reading through from cover to cover, the only way you can apply the same standard to your hermeneutical principle is to do just that. Say, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to weigh Leviticus as more or less than I weigh Matthew. I'm not going to say, well, in Leviticus, God acted this way, but in Mark, God acted this way, right? You can't say, you know, God hardening Pharaoh's heart was different than God hardening the hearts of people today. I think that it also, um, your brother, Jay, you all know Jay, Christmas, right? Not Jeff. Yes, that's right. Christmas episode. Go listen to Christmas. And also, it was like the third or second episode. I think it was was like it third. how you what wear what you wear to church, right? Yeah, church yes, clothes. Church clothes, that's right. Go listen to that as well. Actually, don't. That has a we need to redo that one. Because it has We didn't that, know what we were doing. It has that it had echo, a terrible echo. And now we don't have that anymore. But we need to, next time Jay's back, we'll redo we need that to like one. yeah, we need to revisit. Um but he a long time ago, we I was talking to him, and he made a very good point to me that has helped me in a lot of, um, like, not arguments, just when, like, when people say things that I'm like, I that's biblically just, it's not, that's not a truth. Um, and he said, are we talking about a verse, or are we talking about a theme? Mm-hmm. Because if we're just going to say, well, this verse says blank, but the theme of the Bible so that would be you'd find that theme through the hermeneutics, through the through reading what the, what's going on in that time, also what the language is. You get those kind of themes through that. That tells you what the Bible's actually trying to tell you and what the command of it is, as mm-hmm. opposed to this one verse says blank, which I, I think is an, an issue um, with the opposition is. We like like uh, James White, perfect example when he said to whatever that guy's name, Leighton Flowers. Leighton is a cool name. I'm just Mis- gonna say, Mister Flowers. Doctor, so I think Doctor Flowers. So Doctor Flowers, um, when him with him saying, "No, I don't." Um, pretty much, I don't. I don't like focus this much or put this much emphasis on the rest of the Bible. It, it's it goes back to that whole what are the themes and when Jeremiah says you can't it's consistency throughout you cannot going with the opposition's viewpoint of it there's no there's no consistency and it doesn't match with the themes that you see throughout the entire Bible yeah that's the issue if you want to go with the whole again it goes back to gotcha questions and gotcha verses if you want to go with that I mean it's not fine but in a human phrase it's fine do what you want i suppose but it's just it's not honest Mm -hmm. in my opinion and it there's so much that can be said about stuff like this with the interpretation of text and it does get difficult that's why it's important to slowly work through things there's no rush you know you have the rest of your life to study the bible um so you might as well do it slowly and be able to do it in the correct way. Now, you can learn the correct way by doing study on, you know, you can look up, like that book I mentioned, Herman Who. It, it's how you can apply oh, Pepsi. 
Got me. Uh, <laughs> you can how, how to apply hermeneutics to the Bible. Um, I, I don't think it's very long. I think it's more of a pamphlet. Um, it's just like guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> They're more like guidelines. Like, uh... <laughs> but uh, you have stuff like that that can help you figure out the best way to interpret the Bible consistently. Now, as equally as I said, you know, go slowly, you have time. I've never done this, but I've heard from people who have that if you go and you take the Bible and you read it as fast as you can from Genesis to Revelation, and you just sit down and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through the Bible as quickly as possible, what you notice is what you were talking to Jay about is you don't stick to key verses, right? You don't say, you, you don't sit in your study and say, this one verse I'm going to spend my entire devotion on today because what does that mean? What is going on here? You're, you're going through as quickly as possible and you start to see the themes pop mm-hmm. up and you start to see the print, the biblical principles in action. So doing stuff like that can be helpful as well because when you read through it consistently as one story instead of reading through it as, you know, disjointed or jumbled or, you know, these are all disconnected, if you read through it in one go like that, you get those major themes of the Bible. And what's the major theme of the Bible? It's God's sovereignty. It's it's God's perfect control and his, in Paul's words, tyrannical control over the earth. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just something that you can find no matter which way you read the Bible. If you're consistent in the way you do it, you will always come back to the sovereignty of God. So we have that now with so that that point is consistency is what comes from the viewpoint of Calvinism as opposed to the opposition. So one, I I think that why is this important? The it's called the doctrines of grace, right? Mm-hmm. Calvinism, five points of doctrine of grace, and it is extremely important for us as believers to understand salvation. Um, and, you know, people might say, well, what if you're not elect? Do you really need to understand salvation? <laughs> like, I, I don't well, think every you... man is responsible for his deeds, so he, yes. Yeah, so, I, and and again, well, oh, what about the... We've gone through all five of these, well, seven, seven? I don't even Step, know. Boo, boo. Stula, boop. Um, we have gone through all of them. And it is to, the reason why you need to immerse yourself in this is because you need to understand your salvation. Mm -hmm. It allows you to grow closer to Christ. It allows, it it helps, obviously the sanctification process is through the Holy Spirit, but understanding, like reading the Bible, understanding what it is to be a Christian, understanding how it happens is, is just as important as Anything else you can possibly find in there, I would say, mm-hmm. you need to understand your salvation and just kind of glancing over, going, "What does it really matter?" Like, you know, Jesus died, rose again, and and so you know, there it is, and we just believe in Him. It, it's it comes down to you need to know the finer points of everything. You need to understand 
Is this you? Is this God? Is this you? Is this the Holy Spirit? Is this you? Is it like that's the thing? Are, is it about you or is it about God? Yeah. And you know, over the past four weeks, we have gone. I mean, I wouldn't say exhaustively through. I think we could probably <laughs> go like another. Oh, we have like, not begun like, to get like <laughs> like year. But for for the sake of the podcast, it has been. It has been a very deep dive, and I understand that some people might be like this. You know, guys, I, I think that this is a little too much. Let's get back to like a, a fun topic or whatever, what, it, what you consider fun. But we view this as something that is extremely important for all of us to understand and I mean, are we doing it justice? No, I wouldn't say we are. But I mean, we're two laymen that are just, you know, sitting here talking into a couple of microphones in the in the in Jeremiah's mom's basement. <laughs> so like, I mean, really, what do you expect from us? But it's it's just you. Are we sitting here trying to push you towards Calvinism? Well, that's an interesting question. I would answer. Are we sitting here trying to push people towards Calvinism as yes and no? Do I want people to go and view John Calvin as some, you know, oh, wow, he's, he's, the, he's the guy that outlined the Bible and really made sense of everything? No. I, I, don't, I, I don't care what your view is on John Calvin. And we learned about the heresies of him last week. Yeah. Yeah. From, like he was a tyrant. Yeah. A tyrant. That's a tyrant. But <laughs> he that I'm I'm not focused on John Calvin. There's a reason why I rarely will say I'm a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. Technically, yes, I am a Calvinist. By all measures and by all accounts, I am a Calvinist. But what's more important is I follow the reformed doctrine. Right. I I follow and by that I mean I believe in the sufficiency of scripture. Just like Paul said. It it it's not about what man can come up with. Uh if you go look at 2 Timothy 4 well we'll start 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 yeah, verse 16, and then it goes to uh, 4. I'll stop at some point in chapter 4. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's a 101 right there. Right there. Uh, skipping to chapter 4, verse 3, says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So <laughs> in, in, in chapter 16, he outlines the sufficiency of Scripture. Right. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Why do we need to have the sufficiency of Scripture as key in our minds going forward? Because men want what we want. We get prideful and we decide, you know what, I'm, I, I prefer what this guy over here is saying instead of what this guy over here that's teaching only the, what the Bible says. 
is. So I'm going to go and I'm going to listen to this guy. That's how you get any number of heresy you look at today from oneness Pentecostalism to affirming churches. Right. So it's it's one of those things where you look at and you say, do why does it matter? Now, am I saying that a pastor sh- it, it can't, you know, quote someone like Spurgeon or something like that in the middle of a sermon? No. I think that if you're if you're quoting different people in your sermon as much as they agree with the gospel, I find that as a plea to authority. These men are respected men of God. Well, that and that's what like reformed is all about. We are we're not just going. You have the sufficiency of of the Bible, but you also base it a lot on the findings of people mm-hmm. throughout history and like what are the things that all these. It's, it's not throwing everything out and being like, well, because that's a was a biblicist a bit a biblo. I can't even remember what it, you said it in one episode, but I, I knew it then. Now I have no clue what it is now. Where the Bible, like I'm only going to read the Bible and whatever it well, says. Well, bi- biblicism gets bib- a bad rap because I would call myself a biblicist because I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and that's people who say that they have a problem with biblicism normally have a they they view it as what you're saying, which yeah. is throwing everything out except the Bible, which that's not what biblicism really is. Reformed biblicism. Uh, oh dang, is, man! Another sect. Or, well, I got to look into this. We, need to make, we just need to make a new church. Biblicism you know? <laughs> is generally well. Then just be reformed. Uh, <laughs> biblicism is that. What what is it that Spurgeon said? It he said, uh, "Read many books, but live in the Bible." Yeah, that's what biblicism is. You can you can go to different sources. You can look around, but your source of life and the sole source of truth from how you interpret. All your other sources is the Bible, right? And reform. What I'm what I'm saying with that is, we're just taking the findings of people from history. Mm-hmm. We're not just being like, oh, they, they, you know, whatever. We're 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 figuring it out as we go, or we, we're everything's going to change. It's we we look at like what historical figures and uh, groups found in the scriptures and interpretations of things in the scriptures. And we compile all those things together. Now, it's not like we don't have to agree on every single thing, but it's we look to those themes and we go, okay, we can agree from this time to now that this is what this meant. And so yeah. it becomes a whole entire, it's not just, we're Calvinists. Calvinism extends past that into the reform. Mm-hmm. And what's what's funny to me about a lot of this too, so you have the reformed beliefs and a lot of that is influenced, you know, it builds on each other. We're, you know, building blocks. So you have the foundation that is Christ. You have the foundation that is the scripture. And then the first layer of bricks would be the early church. And then the next layer of bricks that's held up by the early church would be, you know, Augustine. And then the next layer, and it builds up the understanding of each thing that's going on. And each time you put a layer of brick on top of that, that layer is built and put on because they're fighting some controversy of the day. So with with Augustine, what was he fighting? He was fighting Pelagianism, the belief that man is generally good. I'm not saying that Augustine was a Reformed Baptist. Obviously, he was not. He was not Catholic either. He was Augustine. But you look at that. You look at John Calvin. John Calvin was so busy with other things. Martin Luther was was so busy with other things 
they didn't have time to they they, they didn't ha- they weren't the Bible answer man right mm-hmm. they they could fight what they could fight at that time they they didn't have everything then the people that came after Calvin came and said oh well we can correct this part where he was wrong we can correct this part where he was right and it builds and builds and builds the trend nowadays is we look at all the things that people were right about but they were wrong about this right here let's attack them for that throw the baby out with the bathwater it's literally cancel culture it but they, but then but it's holy a in popular, our eyes popular one there's a very popular page i won't name um name it no do it but they constantly state that John MacArthur is Nestorian in his belief of Christ. Babylon B. No, not Babylon B. <sighs> Come on, I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they they say constantly he's he's Nestorian, meaning that he did not Christ did not have a physical body, right? Um so with that said, where do they get that from? Well, his commentary, I think on 2 Peter, John MacArthur states that when Christ's side was pierced and he bled, he bled man's blood. He was he was fully God and fully man, and that blood was a man's blood, and it was not used as the blood of God. It was not the it was the blood of Christ. It was not the blood of God the Father. He says something like that, very short and succinct, succinct on one at in one part of one commentary on Second Peter. Well, people now are saying, well, that shows that John MacArthur's an historian. No. Go back and look when he wrote that. Why did he specifically write that? Why did he specifically say that's not the blood of God? When he wrote that, there was a popular heresy going around Southern, the Southern Baptist Church that angels descended from heaven when Christ's side was pierced on the cross. They collected his blood, carried it up into heaven, and any time someone prayed the sinner's prayer, the angels dipped a dipped something in the blood and sprinkled it over the heads of the saved. How have I heard that before? Have you listened to the podcast? I may have told you about our it. podcast. No, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you no, edit it, so I hope so. I've I've heard but, that before, but like when I was no, like when I was younger. Oh, not yeah, probably. Not saying I don't think my parents didn't like teach me that. Obviously, oh, you've just, heard the that heresy I've heard that heresy yeah. before. Yeah, because it was very popular back in the early '90s, maybe late '80s. I was born in the early and he, '90s. Dun, dun, dun. But you've probably heard some Southern Baptist preacher say something like that before. Right, that's more um, like where it came from. Yeah, but he actually went and stood before John MacArthur went and defended his position. It was so hotly contested at the time that. People were calling John MacArthur a heretic because he was saying, no, nowhere in the Bible does it say that angels collected Christ's blood and sprinkled the blood of God the Father that flowed from Christ's side over man when they're saved. That's not written anywhere in the scripture. So the people that say John MacArthur's an historian because he has this uh, one-verse commentary are just nitpicking him because they don't like other things he says or the way he behaves, how he doesn't respond to hate. But um, they, they do that because, oh, it's John MacArthur. I want to nitpick. I want to get, get, get at that guy. Not because they have an actual issue with him. They right. want to try and chip away at the, the, the foot 
you know, to try and fell the well, whole body. Well, the funny thing is I bet the same people that are doing that would be the ones that are crying boo-hoo when you have some celebrity that you like that back in 2010 said something that was homophobic or racist or something like that and then they're canceling you're like well that's just ridiculous but then when it comes to the other yeah. side it's like well no this this is the, no, this is this is different than that it's yeah, like it's, no it's, this is literally the exact same thing like is is he saying is if John MacArthur came out and said Jesus isn't really God and he never died for our sins okay I can get you with you yeah, there where yeah. that one point yeah I could say that I no longer would listen to John MacArthur but when you're talking about this what you just said, which again is taking him and misunderstanding everything that he's saying, and the context, and not looking at the historical context, not looking at the historical context of what was going on at the time, um, you know, that's that's absolutely ridiculous and mm-hmm. and dangerous as well. Which we can which we can all agree when it comes to cancel culture, we say it's dangerous, but then when it comes to this, that's yeah, it's perfectly fine to worry about. And that that's a good segue, Luke, into should we use cancel culture on our Arminian friends and family and neighbors should we should we get rid of them and say you know what we don't like what they have to say you're done you're canceled well in a word absolutely (laughs) (laughs) no 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 uh i do not i do not i don't think that it is a cancelable offense um, I think it is something that needs to be talked about, needs to be argued, needs to be debated. You need to be able to stand for this uh, viewpoint that you have. Yeah. I don't. I think it needs to be. We need to take off the um, armor and be a little bit vulnerable. Um, if we're watching The Bachelor, Bachelorette, that would be the word I would use. You know, they always talk about. I want to throw things at being you. vulnerable. Um, <laughs> But I, I just think that it's something where instead of sitting here, everything nowadays has to be like if you get into a debate with someone, right? I to go talk to someone, I disagree with them. Like I was talking to you earlier about my my neighbors out mm-hmm. in the hood that are mad at me about this tree limb and their fence. Their perspective is I should give them cash. My perspective is if I give you cash, you're just going to come back for more cash. So I'm saying go through the insurance. And instead of it being a nice conversation where we're like, well, look, we disagree. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're just going to have to do what Luke says. Um, you know, we're sitting there screaming at me in the middle of the street. And and that's what everything has become now. It, it's it's like, uh, do, you, uh, do you believe uh, in Calvinism? No, I, I don't agree with that whatsoever. Okay, well, already we're defensive. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you believe in it? Like, if I'm being nice, well, why don't you believe in it? Well, and it will come down to, well, they're stupid, pretty much, is what it always comes down to. Or, And I'm not saying it always, okay, I just said it always does. Well, they, I'm not saying necessarily will 100% do it, but I'm saying that it devolves so quickly, these arguments. There's never an actual, like, kind-hearted, like, I want to understand why you think this, and you want to understand why I think this, and let's talk about it. It just yeah, doesn't like, do, like we don't you do said, that. The, the, you know, it comes down to them saying, Oh well, I think Calvinism is stupid, or the, the ad hominem attacks either direction. Yeah, you know, either direction are they're, they're not beneficial. No, I mean we've seen that in you look at the news cycle for what look at last politics forty yeah. years. Yeah. It's just been people lobbing at like I said ad hominem ad hominem attacks back and forth, and nothing gets accomplished. And the only thing that happens is you know CNN ratings go through the roof when you get Amy Schumer and. Steven Crowder yelling at each other or something like that. I don't know why that was the first one that came to my mind. Was that a thing? Oh, yeah. That was oh. so weird. But Sick. <laughs> anyways, regardless of that, um, 
it's much more beneficial, especially as Christian brothers and sisters who are striving together for the same goal, in mm. theory, to sit down and say, okay, I have this view, you have this view, show me how you got from point A to point B, and actually get a good understanding. Because the only way you can truly disagree with someone is if you understand their viewpoint. If you don't understand their viewpoint and you say, oh, I just disagree with them, you don't disagree with them, you're, 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 you're wrong. You are wrong. You don't, if you don't understand their point, then how do you know what they're saying is false? Yeah, there's no way to know. You have to have an understanding of them in order to say that is false. It's the same logic that you apply to any other religion. How do you know that Islam is false? You look at the points that Islam has and you say, it is false because of these key things here. And I understand those. I, w- I took the time, I studied it out to show that. You can do the same thing with Catholicism. You can do the same thing with the Jehovah's Witness, any number of group. You can do the same thing if you're saying, look, I prefer Ford cars. You prefer, G- prefer GM cars. Why do we have this preference? Oh, well, because in my experience, I've driven Ford cars and they've lasted crazy amounts of time and you get better mile- gas mileage. Oh, well, you prefer GM cars because it's better. They break down all the time, yeah. but it's easy to work on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in order to have that disagreement, of course, that's a silly example, but in order to have that disagreement, you have to have an understanding of the opposite view. How do you know that Ford cars are superior to GM cars? Well, because I've seen GM cars broken down a lot more than I've seen Ford cars broken down. I don't know if that's the case. That's just what I'm what I'm saying. Well, you know what Ford stands for. <sighs> Fix it again, Tony. That's Fiat. <laughs> that's a Fiat, Dale. Fix it again, Tony. Huh. I just saw that episode. That's like, so a good. Week dude. That's ago. like season one. I think that's the first episode. That's literally the first line. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right, we're not gonna talk about King of the Hill. But um are are they canceled? Are they out of the kingdom? No. I um they they affirm Christ died, Christ rose again. Defeats him for all time. Um, believing in him is the only way. Um, and we just disagree on the mode. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we disagree on the... I, I guess we don't really disagree. Well, we disagree on the atonement in, in a certain way, which is, again, we talk about it is sufficient for everyone, but it's efficient for us. And it is... Theirs is... No, it's for everyone. And therefore, anyone can be... Like, it was Christ died for every single person Mm -hmm. where we look at it as christ's death and resurrection is sufficient for everyone to be saved but yet it is only usable for us as elect to be saved so again we all we agree on the on the salvation point how to be saved um or what it is that makes a christian a christian but we don't agree on the method of it. So are they heretics? No. Do I disagree with them? Yes. Do I understand all their points? Probably not. Um, so maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. Jeremiah well, I, just said yeah, I there's, was. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's so much that can be said that hasn't been said, but in my view, I think it's there, there is a pyramid of issues, right? And a lot of the time we 
we get caught up in stuff. I think recently there was the whole Alistair Begg thing talking about should a grandmother go to their grandchild's transgender wedding or whatever. I think it was a transgender wedding. And he said, yes, and you can show Christ's love. And then you had a lot of other people in the same camp as Alistair Begg saying, no, you cannot. That is not the role you are in. If you do that, you are in jeopardy of showing your approval of such a thing. So you had that level of disagreement, but at the same time, people are looking at that and saying, everything that Alistair Begg, all these other things that Alistair Begg has done have been amazing, right? He's an excellent preacher. He's a wonderful expositor. He is one of the just most pleasing pastors to listen to. So you have you have that sort of example where you can say, we disagree fundamentally on this. And you can say, why do we disagree? Why, why does this matter? Why do we need to have uh, a disagreement on this? Well, because there's a lot of biblical principles at stake, and it can turn into a slippery slope. Same thing can be said about the divide between the Calvinist and Armenian camps. You want to say, look, there is some things that we agree on, but at the end of the day, we do need to be right about things. We don't want to have a divided front. We want to be united in Christ. We want to be a united church. So how do we get to that point? Well, we argue over the truth until the truth prevails. And how do we get the truth? From the sufficiency of scripture. You know, Luke, I think it's time, now that we've expanded on this enough, I think it's time, time for a Luke's list. All right. This list comes from Not Secured. Um, (laughs) Oh, I'm. I'm When you said that, my first thought was the Parks and Rec. (laughs) I looked up your. I looked up your symptoms on WebMD, and it says you have internet connectivity problems. (laughs) (laughs) What is reformedtheology.blogspot.com? I guess. Okay. And it is by February. Okay, that's not him. That's the date. That's the date. Uh, it is by somebody. I don't know who this is by. So anonymous. We have nine points. So let's get through them. Num- okay. I'm oh, sorry. Nine points that make Ar- uh, Arianism. I'm literally You're reading doing the word. Great. Arminianism. Areopagus. Dangerous. Nine points that make it dangerous. Okay. Why is Arminianism? Dangerous. Okay. Number one, it disunites the Trinity. If one argues for the Arminian doctrine of ultimate, or sorry, of unlimited atonement, they must argue likewise for the disunity for the Trinity, as the implication is that though the Father has chosen some to be saved, the Son sheds his blood for a different group to those the Father sent him to save with the spirit again working in another group though not effectually calling rather we find that the trinity is united that makes sense to me i like that that's a good point <laughs> okay, i have no well, disagreements let's keep going then number two it makes salvation a work man accomplishes huh i think i said that at the beginning of this one but let's get with this though many arminians would outright deny that salvation is in any way a work of man through their denial of man's radical 
radical corruption and of monergistic, one working grace of God. They produce a God who leaves the final say in salvation up to man himself, the role of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit being given to mankind in salvation in Arminian theology leaves J.I. Packer to conclude, okay, I'm not going to read all this. Um, let's just go with what I just said. Yeah, that, again, I, I find no fault. Wow, you like this guy, huh? Man, this is crazy. I, I, I like anonymous, apparently. Yeah, you like February 15, 20, whatever. Um, number three, it empties the cross of its effects. Arminians believe in universal atonement, which I think we... Yeah, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, that Christ died for all and every man alike, for Judas as well as Peter. Um, uh, the assumption of the Arminian theology of atonements are... Okay, we already went over that. This leads us to the question, did Christ die to atone for the sins of every human being, or did he die to atone for the sins of the elect only? Is Christ a real Savior or merely a potential Savior? Historical Arminians embrace unlimited atonement that Christ died for all, but embraces particularism. Not all people are saved, only a particular number of them who respond to the gospel of faith. The person who fails to embrace the saving work of Christ with faith is ultimately left without the expiation. I think you said it right expiation and washing away of their sin, the propitiation. (laughs) I can I know the word. I just can't pronounce it, okay? You're doing of great. cross where God's wrath was satisfied and the satisfaction of God's justice. I, I I I'm trying to find the part where they're like, This is bad. But yeah. Or this is what it is. It empties the cross of its effects. Jeremiah throws his hands up, says he I'm, agrees. I, I again you found a you found a list. See, the list is normally supposed to be stuff we agree with, but I, I or disagree with. I don't mind having the one of Well, we stuff kept we doing ones with. about how bad Calvin is. <laughs> so I was like, maybe we just This was not I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just they, saying it's different. Should, I don't I don't have other the guy is explaining things. Okay, number four, it destroys the doctrine of total depravity. If atonement is unlimited and therefore intended for all, then it logically flows that some resist the grace of God extended through the offer of atonement. If grace is resistible, this nullifies the effectual nature of God's irresistible grace. If grace can be resisted, it means that we are not totally depraved, but have some faculty, some island of righteousness from which we can choose or reject God. Thumbs up is what I get. I I mean, that sounds good to me. Okay, we're moving on. It diminishes the sovereign power of God, making God's grace ineffectual. Or, ineffectual. I think he meant ineffectual, but whatever. Do I need to read it, or are you just going to agree with say, it? Say that one one more time. It diminishes the sovereign power of God, making God's grace ineffectual. Yeah, read that one. I'm not sure I understand his sentence, but I, I think I know where he's going, but I want to hear what he says. Okay, the the doctrine, um, the Arminian doctrine of uh, prevenient, prevenient grace. Prevenient. That, didn't I just say that? Didn't I just say that? It's defined as follows, and then it gives you a whole thing. Uh, Preventing grace doesn't save us, but rather comes before anything that we do, drawing us to God, making us want to come to God, enabling us to have faith in God. Preventing faith or grace is universal, and as much as all humans receive it, regardless of their having heard of Jesus. 
It is manifest in the deep-seated desire of most humans to know God. The doctrine undermines the very heart of the Reformation. It is often assumed that the chief issue of the Reformation was the issue of justification. Together, the Reformers clearly saw the link between the, the doctrine of justification and the primacy of grace, throwing their thunderbolts at every form of human merit. Do you want more? That sounds good to me. Okay, we're going to move on then. Making me read... This is fun Prevenient. Prevenient. I'm just getting more ammo of you saying things wrongly. Dude, I just... I'm just glad my dad doesn't listen to the podcast, right? He'd be like, I... It reminds him of the times... Someone was homeschooled. When he'd take us to the Indian burial grounds. I think I've told the story. And he would say, okay, Luke, you're reading the plaque this time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So good. Well, I can't pronounce any of these things. Are you serious? I'm sorry, Dad. I don't speak Indian. All right. The dude's name was Joe Smith. (laughs) Whatever. All right. It diminishes God's omniscience. I can say that word. Particularly his knowledge of the future. Arminians detest the doctrine of predestination as presented by Calvinists. Since the word itself is biblical, Arminians are forced to define the term in a manner that complements free will. In order to do that, they must recast the traditional doctrine related to God's knowledge. Most of us have no problem saying that God knows all things, but this has vexed most Arminians. Yeah, and that does open up, there's a a whole other branch of people. There's not just Calvinism and Arminianism. There's also Molinism, which is a view that God has a middle knowledge. So he, he sees the two different outcomes of one choice, and he knows the ends of each outcome and allows man to choose either direction. So he is, that's what the modalist, or not the Molinist view is, is that you can have a God who is omniscient, but there's these different branching realities depending on which decision you take, and he freely allows you to take those choices, which is heresy. Um, but I mean, I mean, but we could talk about it. I mean, maybe. Okay, next one. <laughs> Seven. It destroys and undermines. I mean, that sounds like literally someone just played a video game and they were like, you know, it would be really cool if God did this. No, I heard a guy use the example of Doctor Strange. Oh. And wow. how, you know, the, the like, infinity, the, all the people in Infinity War, you know, you can draw the parallel from that to look at how God's knowledge is perfect. And it's like, what? Because Doctor Strange saw, you know, 16,741 realities, and there was only one in which they won, and he allowed for it, it to happen, and he allowed for all the things to happen in order for them to win. So Doctor Strange has the same middle knowledge that God does. What? You lost me. Okay. Number seven, it destroys and undermines the unity of Scripture. Isn't that what we talked about with Talked about this whole episode. Yes. Arminians foster theological confusion. Moving on. <laughs> Number eight. Eight out of nine. It strips Christians of their assurance of and hope. We, I think we went over that already yep. last week, more, yep. how, more so. How can you be certain when it's your decision? If it's my decision to be saved, it then it can be my decision to not be saved again. Or my accident. Oh. Number nine. It undermines justification by faith alone. Shall I read? Yeah. Wilt <laughs> Luther said that 
Justification by faith alone is the article upon which the church stands or falls. For some Arminians, justification by the imputation of Christ's righteousness not only is absurd, said evangelist, I think he meant to say Charles, but it's Trailless Finney. Charles Finney. Yeah, but he spelled it C-H-R-A. I'm sorry. He's, he writes like I read. Uh, <laughs> but undermines all motivation for human or for, for person holiness. Cry, Christians can perfectly obey God in this life if they choose, and only in this way are they justified. In fact, full, present obedience is a condition of justification. No one can be justified while sin, any degree of sin, remains in him. Finney declared, concerning the Reformation formula, simultaneously justified and sinful, this error has slain more souls, I fear, than any than all the universalism that ever cursed the world. For whatever, for whenever a Christian sins, he comes under condemnation and must repent and do his first works or be lost. The basis of justification is perfect obedience, but that of the believer rather than Christ. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have a summary. That's my list. That's a good list. Ah, whatever, dude. You know, I just don't even want It's a good to list. I walked in here. I said, wow, what a good list. All right. And that is our last episode. Oh, okay, no. Sorry. Our final episode on this. Who knows? This. We may uh, come back one day. Whatever you want to call it. On Calvinism. And today was all about, is it important? Are our Arminian brothers heretics and going to hell? They just listened to the episode. I don't think you need to say that. Yeah, so that's I'm just repeating it, okay? Anyway, uh next week I'm you know, normally I'd say Calvinism and I don't have to say that. Next week we will be doing an episode on why you are wrong about rock and roll. You won't believe what shirt Luke is wearing right now. Not rock and roll, but rock and roll. Well, this is metal. Does that count? Please say it does cuz yes, I really want to talk about that. Yes, it counts. I'll talk Can I tell the story about your dad? I'll think about it. Okay, think you, about it. You have that. to ask him. He won't even remember. And he'll, and he'll, <laughs> I think he will. And he'll say no. You should only if you ask him. Fine. Uh, you know what? I that's actually a good re- thing though. I would never put him on blast. I like your dad. And it's not putting him on blast. It's a funny story. I think it could be no. It can be looked at as putting him on blast. That's my thing. It's the perspective, the interpretation, optics, the uh, hermeneutics of the situation. I don't think you're. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. That's right. Using that that's absolutely right. Where can people find us? Where can people hermeneutically find us? <laughs> You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at First Off You're Wrong. You can also find us on X at F underscore O underscore Y underscore W. You can email us at contact at First Off You're Wrong. You're spelled Y O U R E. That's good because you keep saying like to tell, like you say, spelled the correct way. But what if people think the correct way was Y O U R? Well, they're wrong. Yeah, but they and don't they know need that. to go back to. But first off, you might grade. be wrong. Who knows? You can hear us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but you are new. And with that, just remember the most important thing that you learned in the past five weeks is that first off, you're wrong. And totally depraved. Amen. Amen. <laughs>